Well, every Tuesday night, uh, Angela and I have a weekly date night. It's booked into both of our calendars, mostly for my benefit. Uh, and when we go out to dinner, uh, we choose whatever we want. Um, we spend quality time together. And we do that no matter how busy we are at work, at home, or anything else. And usually for date night, uh, any sort of food, any sort of cuisine, any sort of restaurant or food outlet within reason is on the table for us to go and try. Whether it be Chinese, Japanese steak, wings, Italian, Korean, you name it. Uh, Angela's the one that always wants Korean barbecue, not me. But once in a while, out of all the possibilities we could choose from, Angela will say, I just want Macca's takeaway. And out of all the possibilities, once in a while, I'll say, I just want KFC. You see, out of all the possibilities, out of all the good, wholesome food to choose from, we settle with dirty takeout, the bottom of the bottom. Well, as we think about prayer today, I think we often do this with prayer too. Out of all the possibilities, the good things that we can be praying for, we often settle with basic, small, unambitious prayer requests when there are so many great things that we could be praying for. Over the last term, we've been going through this question of what is a disciple of Jesus? We're now at the end of this series, highlighting various aspects of living for Jesus and what it means. And today we're looking at one aspect of prayer. A disciple of Jesus prays gospel-shaped prayers. Well, as we get started, it'd be good for us to define prayer. Prayer is simply talking to God. We've done it this morning as a church. We hear from God as he speaks to us through his word. And praying is responding to him, responding to his word, talking to God. It's part of a relationship, conversation with God. Prayer is made possible because of Jesus, who restores our relationship with God as he died for our sins and made us right with God as we just remembered through communion. And that's why we pray in Jesus' name, because it's in Jesus that we can relate rightly with God. And the question we're going to tease out today is what should we pray for? What should we talk to God about? And in particular, what should we ask God about, both in our personal, private prayers and as we pray together with others? Well, in the New Testament, Paul, in his letters, gives us an example and direction as he writes to various churches and various individuals. And either he includes his prayers for them or he reflects on his prayers for them. And this morning, we're going to look at 2 Thessalonians 1 and see what God is teaching us through Paul about prayer. If you don't know too much about 2 Thessalonians, it's the second letter written by Paul to the believers in Thessalonica. Uh, they're a young church, new believers. They were going strong, but there was a fresh outbreak of persecution. And Paul, he writes to encourage them, to tell them to keep going, to keep their eyes on what's important, 
And as we consider what Paul prays for today, in verse 11, if you've got your Bibles, it says this. Paul says, to this end, we always pray for you. And this phrase, to this end, it actually reaches back to verse 3 to 10, all of verse 3 to 10. And in light of verse 3 to 10, Paul, he prays certain things in verse 11 and 12 for these believers in Thessalonica. So we're going to look at verse 3 to 10 as the foundation is informing, is building toward Paul's prayer points in verse 11 and 12. And that in turn to challenge us this morning in what we're to pray for, the content of our prayers for ourselves and for one another as we live for Jesus today. Well, as we begin, verse 1 and 2 are our typical greetings in Paul's letters. It says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First Thessalonians was the first letter Paul wrote to them. It was most likely written in the middle of AD 50, a few months after Paul had visited these believers. And 2 Thessalonians was written very soon after, probably the beginning of the next year, after a fresh wave of persecution hit the area. And Paul, he urges them, and he prays for them to keep going even amidst the persecution. Verse 3 continues. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. See, Paul, he launches into thanksgiving and he paints the picture of the current situation of these believers. First, we see that their faith was growing abundantly. It was flourishing, literally. Wonderful growth, vigorous growth, growing beyond, even amidst the persecution and trials, which might have led them to stumble instead. But their faith was thriving, it was going strong. Second here, we see that their love was increasing. Literally, it's profuse and plentiful growth, a love that every single person had for one another. And again, even amidst the persecution and trials, which usually leads people to hate, lukewarm relationships, disunity, and care of self more than others, these guys, their love was increasing. You see, their situation, it wasn't great, enduring persecutions and afflictions, suffering specifically for being a follower of Jesus. But here, they were going strong. They were growing in faith and love, growing so well that Paul says they must give thanks. They ought to give thanks. That's proper and right to give thanks. That Paul even boasts about them to the other churches around. 
You see, these Thessalonian believers, they were living for Jesus well in a world that persecuted them. As we keep going, many of you know, enduring, keeping going, especially through tough times, it's hard. You can only grit your teeth for so long and take so much hardship before giving up. Maybe that's what you felt like this week, seeing the census where Christianity is officially a minority in Australia and wondered what the future holds. So Paul here, and in much of 2 Thessalonians, points the readers to the end. The light at the end of the tunnel, the future prospect and outlook for believers as they keep going. Because when you know the destination, when you know the end and how good it is, what the future looks like, it puts everything happening in the present in perspective. Let's have a look at verse 5. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering. Here, Paul, he fast-forwards to the future, what the future final judgment of God looks like when Jesus comes to wrap up all of history. And he says that their suffering now is evidence that God's judgment is just. Because their suffering as they hold on to Jesus now, as they lived out their faith in Jesus, as they endured for Jesus, it shows God's justice by considering them worthy to be part of God's kingdom in eternity. You see, suffering now, living for Jesus now, leading to God's kingdom and being considered worthy to be in it forever. It might sound a bit strange, but this is the message of the Bible, suffering to glory. Jesus teaches this, the path of suffering before glory. Jesus ultimately models this, cross before the crown. Paul teaches this elsewhere, that in God's divine justice, those who suffer while holding on to Jesus now will experience glory in eternity. And on this topic, uh, the focus on the Bible isn't on the fall of Jesus seeking out and wanting suffering. It's on the disciple of Jesus living for Jesus, simply living for Jesus and the inevitability that the byproduct, the consequence of living for Jesus in a fallen world will be suffering. So Paul, he fast forwards to the future and he encourages them by saying that those suffering for Jesus now are the ones that God considers worthy to be part of his kingdom in eternity. Suffering now, glory on the last day. And verse 6 continues God's righteous judgment. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflicted you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. Paul, he keeps going, he keeps encouraging them. It's hard going right now, but have an eternal perspective. 
because the suffering won't last forever. In fact, on the future day of judgment, there's going to be a reversal of roles. God will afflict the ones currently afflicting. Note that he is the one who do this. He's the one who's going to repay and not us today. And God will also bring relief to the afflicted. You see, Jesus is worth living for today. So I've seen God's righteous judgment, suffering to glory, afflicting to afflicted, afflicted to relief. But you might ask today, when's that going to happen? When is this future outlook? Well, the end of verse 7 tells us this. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. You see, this judgment, all this stuff here, it's referring to the final day, the final judgment, the one where God visits the world, when the Son of Man of Daniel comes in the clouds, the day when God comes to wrap up all of time and history and judge the living and the dead. And it's fulfilled when Jesus comes again in glory to save and to judge. Paul's saying, keep this in your perspective. Look to eternity. Look to the day when Jesus comes in glory. Because this is what's going to happen. Verse 8, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed. You see, the judgment of Jesus is absolute and clear. It's in line with what Tim outlined last week in that two ways to live presentation. Because here, Jesus, he outlines two outcomes of judgment. First, for those who don't know God, or those who haven't accepted the gospel of Jesus. Not two groups, but the same group. The second phrase here parallels the first phrase. And it's not just that the ones who are persecuting Christians, it's all who don't believe in Jesus. And the judgment here is eternal destruction, apart from God, complete ruin and loss of everything. You see, that's what you face if you're found rejecting Jesus as Lord and Saviour on that last day when Jesus returns. And the second outcome is this, for those who believed the good news of Jesus. You see, for this group, it's a day of glory. Verse 10, Jesus will come in glory and all his believers will be glorified too meaning that we, as believers, will experience resurrection life. We'll be made fully into the image of Christ. That's what it means when it says we will be glorified. The glory of that day will surpass anything 
that we have ever seen or know. And on that day when Jesus comes in glory, when we are glorified too, we'd be lost in amazement at that sight. You see, Paul here, he outlines the future outlook of what God will do on the last day. And he does this to remind these Thessalonian believers to comfort them, to encourage them to keep going, to challenge them to keep the main thing, the main thing to keep living for Jesus. He says, your persevering and suffering is not in vain. God's judgment is sure, suffering to glory, afflicted to relief, persecuted to being glorified and made alive with Jesus, afflicting to afflicted, rejecting Jesus to eternal destruction, persecuting to eternity apart from Jesus. Two ways to live, and Paul, he encourages the believers here, keep living for Jesus. Now we've looked at verse 3 to 10, We've seen the current situation, growth in Jesus amidst suffering and persecution. We've seen the future outlook of eternal glory for believers and eternal destruction for those who don't accept the good news of Jesus. Now we get to Paul's prayer points in verse 11 in light of verse 3 to 10. What does Paul pray for? I think we'd be tempted to pray for the suffering to lessen or end. We'd be tempted to pray for a way out of the persecution, for the persecutors to be removed, all of these good prayer points. But Paul here, he shows us what's even more important, what's even more urgent and God-honoring, a gospel-motivated prayer that Paul constantly prays for, that I think we easily forget to pray about. Paul gives us two prayer points in verse 11. To this end, we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. First of Paul's prayer points, that God will make you worthy of his calling. I think the word calling has been overused in Christian circles. Uh, We use the word calling for unique and special tasks that God has given people. God called me to be a pastor. God called me to do this or take this job. God called me to go overseas. But the primary way the Bible talks about calling is actually a general calling, not a unique calling, a calling to each and every believer, a call to accept life and the grace and love that God's shown us in Jesus. And here Paul's prayer is that God would make the believer worthy of God's call to life in Jesus. In other words, Paul's praying that God would help them live in light of their new life in Jesus, to live out the gospel, to live in response to God's love and grace in their lives, 
to live so that on that last day God would judge them worthy of God's kingdom. You see, that's the most important prayer with eternity in mind, to live for Jesus, to keep going, to grow in Jesus, to be found on that last day worthy to be part of Jesus' eternal kingdom. And we can't do it ourselves. We can't just grit our teeth and try harder. We need all the help we can get. We ultimately need God's help to make us worthy, to grow us, and to help us to keep living for Jesus. And the second prayer point here, it's similar to the first, is that God would powerfully fulfill every desire for goodness and every work of faith. You see, when someone becomes a follower, a disciple of Jesus, everything changes in their life. Jesus as Lord and Saviour, it changes your plans to be his plans. It's to be less about me and more about him. Your goals become his goals. Your desires become his desires. Your work and your labour and your serving become his work and his labour and his things. And Paul prays here that God would fulfil these things with power these resolves for good, these desires of goodness and godly things, these works influenced by faith in Jesus, that the power of God will work, that our God-given good desires and plans and goals will come to pass as we live for Jesus, as we grow in Jesus, as we persevere for Jesus, as we witness to Jesus, that God would powerfully work to fulfill our God-given desires and works. And Paul, he closes this section with the result of praying this way. So that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, Paul, he looks to the end, to the future, both the here future and the, the here and now future and that last day future, that Jesus would be glorified in us, that as we pray this way, God gladly answers and we as his disciples become more and more like Jesus. And by doing that, by growing in this way and living in this way, we give Jesus' glory, and that we would be glorified in him. This looks to the last day when Jesus comes in glory. The ultimate result of this prayer is that we would be resurrected and glorified. We'd make it to that last day and that we would live forever in God's new and perfect creation. You see, Paul prays, for the most important things we can pray for. That you would live for Jesus, that you live in light of his mercy and grace, that you would grow in Jesus and endure and keep going to that last day holding on to Jesus. That on that last day, God would count you worthy to be in his forever kingdom, 
that you'd be glorified in Jesus, that you'd experience glory, eternity with Jesus. D.A. Carson tells the story of Florence Chadwick. Uh, She was an experienced long-distance swimmer. Uh, She swam the English Channel and back, apparently. And in 1952, uh, Florence Chadwick, uh, she attempted to swim uh, from the Catalina Island to the shore of California. It's a distance of about 32 k's. Uh, It was actually shorter than the English Channel. But on the day, uh, the morning of her swim, uh, the weather was foggy, cold, and she could barely see the boats around her. She swam for 15 hours. She struggled. She begged to be taken out. And finally, she just stopped swimming, exhausted, and she pulled out. The boat picked her up and made it to shore. And once she got back, she realized she was less than half a kilometer from the shoreline. At the press conference the next day, Chadwick says, I think that if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. I think that if I could have seen the shore, I could have made it. Friends, we live looking towards glory. Paul, he paints the picture here in 2 Thessalonians. He paints the picture of the shoreline. He urges us today too to persevere to keep going with glory, with the shoreline in our sights. Not to be distracted by what's happening around us, not to be put off by the suffering, but to keep the course, to live for Jesus, to grow more like Jesus, and to resolve to to do good and godly works for the Lord Jesus Christ. And God through Paul teaches us how to pray in light of this, because we can't do it on our own. We need God's help. We need his help to persevere with that shoreline of glory in our sights. And Paul, he models for us one of the most important prayers we're to pray for. A big prayer, a gospel-shaped prayer, a God-word and eternal-focused prayer. I think it's one of the most dangerous prayers that we can pray. God, make me worthy of your calling. God, help me live for Jesus. God, make me more like Jesus. God, work the gospel into me. God, help me live in light of the cross of Jesus. And we're not saying today not to pray for your health, not to pray for your good desires, or relief and comfort, not to pray for your work or for relational restoration, all good things that you currently pray for. But the challenge for us today is that we're to constantly pray big prayers, gospel-shaped prayers, prayers that set our sights on eternity. Make this your prayer today. God, Make me worthy of your calling. God, help me live for Jesus and grow in Jesus that I might persevere to that last day of being with Jesus forever. And pray this for yourself. Pray this for others, for your family, 
whether it be your parents, your spouse, your kids, your relatives, those who know Jesus and those who don't know Jesus. Pray that God would help them to see Jesus and live for him in light of eternity ahead. Pray this for others in your church, in the church, in your private prayers, in your community groups, as you gather in other settings, when you gather for coffee down the road. We all need this prayer first and foremost. From Doug all the way to baby Matt coming soon and everyone in between. This is a prayer point for everyone all the time. You don't even ask them what you need to pray for. We all need this prayer. Pray this for your friends and pray this for those who don't know Jesus, that God would help them see Jesus as Lord and Saviour and God would help them live for Jesus. You see, we ought to pray this with urgency because Jesus is coming one day in glory. And we don't want to be distracted from what's most important. We can pray this with confidence, knowing that God, he works powerfully in our prayers, that he's working to fulfill every good desire and work of faith, that he promised uh, to keep his saved and forgiven people to glory. And as we pray in this way, big, dangerous, gospel-shaped prayers, we glorify Jesus as God shapes us and others to be more and more like him. And we will be glorified when Jesus returns. We will experience those who believe in him the fullness of God's goodness, resurrection life, eternal life, life in God's presence forever. So a disciple of Jesus prays gospel-shaped prayers. Prayers with sights set with eternity and glory in mind. Petitioning God and asking God, make me worthy of your calling. Help me and help others to live for Jesus. Make me and make others more like Jesus. Cause me to live in light of the saving grace of God seen in the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it fitting for us to pray to this end as we close? Let's pray. Our good God, we're reminded this morning that we live in light of eternity, in light of Jesus returning in glory and power to save and judge the living and the dead, that when Jesus comes in glory, he'll glorify and transform all who believe in Jesus into immortal and incorruptible resurrection life. Help us, Father God, to endure and persevere to this end. Help us to live faithfully for Jesus, to grow in Jesus. Make us worthy of your gospel calling. And Lord, help us to pray this prayer regularly for ourselves and for all those around us. Remind us, Lord, uh, that living for and growing in Jesus is the most important petition that we can bring to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.